One of my favorite quotes is from Reid Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn, who once said, if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, you launch too late. Today on Guaranteed to Grow, I've got a special guest that I just had to have come on the show to talk about how to launch a successful MVP. He's an incredible CTO and an even better friend, someone that I could not do all that I've done without. Without further ado, please welcome Piyush Pameh on to the show. You're listening to Guaranteed to Grow, the podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking for actionable steps they can take to validate, test, launch, and scale their software idea. I'm your host, Patrick Parker, a serial entrepreneur and multi-million dollar business owner that's passionate about helping entrepreneurs just like you. Expect to hear topics that will help you grow and expand your business in innovative ways that you would have never considered before. Let's dive in. Piyush, how's it going? Hi, Pat. Thanks for inviting me. And hello to all the viewers. Absolutely. So to kind of set the stage and, and you know, provide a better background on, on who you are, let us know a little bit about your journey and, and how you got started in tech. Sure. So I started back in 2005 as a developer in a multinational corporation. Um, and from that point on, I you know learned and grew and then transitioned into a, a consultant role where I've worked with... Uh, Many uh, bigger companies like Entity Data, uh, Emphasis, uh, Pomeroy, etc. Awesome. So, in the, in consulting is where we actually met, right? We ended up working together for many, many years on a project team before we ended up leaving and and founding SaaS Partners. So, I think you know during you know time that we've known each other, we've probably worked on upwards of of three hundred different projects. You know, at times managing over a billion dollars in, uh, in projects and, uh, have had a lot of success and, and built a pretty incredible legacy for some of the companies that we were working with, provided a ton of value to customers. And then, you know, ultimately just decided there was a, a better way. So, you know, that, that led us to, to where we are now and continuing our relationship and, and building out our business. So first off, let's dive into this topic. Let's talk about what it is that an MVP does uh, and why you should build it first. But let, let's start with the basics. What, what is an MVP? Why should you build it first? Absolutely. Uh, MVP, minimum viable product. I mean, uh, an MVP is a product which has the core functions and features or functionalities which you're you know, trying to get to your customers. You are either trying to solve a business problem or you're trying to improve uh uh, process, right? I mean, what you do is you build a minimum viable product which focuses just on those core features and functionalities and give exactly that to your clients. Uh, all the bells and whistles, all the other features can be added, added later on and uh, other iterations. To to give you an example, I mean, one of the most successful MVPs ever is Amazon. I mean, Bezos started the marketplace in the 90s. Uh, he began brainstorming the ideas to sell products online. And he identified at that point that books would be the one which would be the most profitable and, and in demand, right? So the website which he built, that was the MVP. That was something which has now become the most successful or the most successful e-commerce platform we have today. And boy, boy, was he right. Um, it, it's crazy just to, to see that. And, and what a great example. I, I love that example because, you know, he started with books, obviously transitioned into to consumable products to uh, eventually tech and, and was one of, 
know, the, the biggest proponents of, of pushing forward digital transformation and developing uh, Amazon Web Services, which is, you know, the, the preferred platform for most software as a service companies uh, and a lot of companies that were looking to save money by transitioning all of their on-premise applications um, and storage to the cloud. So, you know, big advocate for that. And that was a, a huge innovation that, that came later. But, you know, it all started, like you said, with having the foresight to build out a bookstore online. And then everything else was, you know, being able to, to identify other opportunities in other markets and, and kind of pivot and, and build out the entire infrastructure for there. So absolutely love that example. Um, what are some of the benefits when it comes to building an MVP? Why should you build an MVP first instead of building out, you know, a full-fledged product? Right. So there are many uh, advantages to, you know, building the MVP first, right? And the uh, I'll list some of the important ones. The first one I would say is the, uh, you know, validating the market, right? You can have your ideas, you can work on towards them. Uh, but, you know, once you have an MVP, you can take it out to the market and validate its, uh, you know, the acceptance, the adoption. The other big advantage of that is also going quick to market. I mean, if you were to uh, go through the entire feature set, what you're trying to offer, go through, uh, you know, adding all the different features, identifying all the gaps, and then building the full-fledged software, it is going to take a long uh, duration, as well as uh, you also need to keep budget in your mind. So it's quick to market, and it also reduces the initial upfront cost. Um, once you have the MVP out, you can obviously go back to your clients or users, adopters, and get the feedback. This feedback is really critical as, you know, you can get that feedback and work towards the features, which makes the most sense. Work on, you know, improving the features or the feedback, what you have received from your clients, you can work on those. Awesome. And yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think you're right. It's, it's all about collecting feedback, especially in those early stages, right? How can I continue reducing friction in my app? How can I fine tune my core offering before I continue scaling it out and how can I build a better product based on the feedback that I receive? Um, yeah. So, so absolutely love that. Let's say that people have gone through that process of, of validating the idea uh, for their software product. They've, they've done the deep work. They have had those tough conversations with people in their market and, and gotten a good idea at this point that they do have a viable idea. When I want to build an MVP, where do I start? So, I mean, just now we talked about Amazon, right? Um, but that was the 90s. That was the beginning of the internet revolution. Now we have access to all type of information, to all type of data. And once the client has done all the legwork where they have, uh, you know, done their market research, what they can now do is they can identify what is the USP of their product, you know? What is the unique proposition? What is the value creation which they're bringing to their clients, right? Once they have identified the USP, then they can start working towards the core functionalities and features, right? The core uh, features which they would like to, which would support that USP, right? Once they have done that, they can prioritize these uh, features and functionalities in, in an order so that they can, when they're you know building this MVP, they can go through these uh, feature sets and that specific priority line. Um, the other thing which they can do is map out all the user flows. Awesome. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that because there may be some listeners out there that are not familiar 
with that concept or with that terminology. What, um, what exactly does it mean? What does it look like uh, to map out a user flow? So user flows, basically what you need to do is uh, the product or the service that you're trying to build. I mean, how many different actors it's going to what are the different types of users which are going to utilize this platform or the application that you're building? Uh, you know, if there are multiple users, then you map out their journey. You map out how they're going to get onboarded onto your application. What would be, how would they set up their account? Uh, what would they do once they sign up? What is the next step which they take? How do you, you know, so that journey of those users while using your platform, that is what I'm referring to when I talk about users. Okay, and what's the what's the goal or what's the importance of of doing that? Is it primarily just to understand and to be able to communicate what you want the user experience to be, or is it more so that you can kind of continuously improve on on the design of of that experience or that that product? It does to allow us to build the software. No. Uh, so basically what that will do is once you're going through and creating these user flows, identifying these, mapping out these flows, you are going to identify all the gaps which you have missed when you were conceptualizing the idea. You would have missed out some of the data elements which you're trying to capture, which are needed down the line. You would identify all those things while you're going through mapping that journeys, which can be then utilized uh, in your application. Yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense. So when you are actually building out that MVP, are there any, you know, common mistakes that you see or, or advice that you can give on, on how our listeners can, can avoid those? Absolutely. Um, thinking about MVP, you need well-defined boundaries around your MVP. I mean, sometimes when you start, you start with your idea. I mean, you need it to do everything under the umbrella and maybe more outside whatever there is. The umbrella, right? But you want to focus on your core features. You want to focus on your USP and just deliver that to your clients. That is going to help you a lot so that you keep your budget in the initial uh, thing very to a minimum, as well as also go quickly to market. So my advice to the listeners would be that, you know, you define those um, boundaries well. The other thing would be, you know, uh, follow the agile process so that, you know, during your MVP, you can refine the product while you're going through the motions of creating or building that MVP. Um, sometimes also during the MVP, people can get, uh, you know, focused on the wrong problem, right? Instead, what you should do is, as I said, I mean, once you have your boundaries set, you can only focus on all the core functionalities and go from there. So it sounds like focus, focus, focus is the big thing and not to, to get sidetracked by all of the other uh, shiny initiatives or, or shiny objects that are... Uh, you know, detracting from. Way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know there's been a, a big push, and especially recently, a lot of, of fuss around low code and no code platforms. Um, what are your thoughts on on using those types of platforms to build an MVP? I know that that Bubble is probably the the most talked about one and, and the one that has had the most success. But are there any? Uh, any kind of hangups or pitfalls that can occur or any benefits of, of actually building out using one of those low-code or no-code platforms? I mean, uh, these platforms are great. I mean, but what I have seen uh, happening is, I mean, these platforms are good for prototyping, but not for creating your MVP. 
And what I mean by prototyping is, you know, creating a real like uh, flow using these platforms so that you can showcase it to your friends and family so that you can go to the market and do the research, uh, validate, you know, whether this specific thing which you're trying to build is actually something which uh, clients are needing it, right? So before you go full-fledged, I mean, you can do the prototyping in these type of tools, but I would not recommend these tools to build your MVP or your product. Uh, the reason being, I mean, you don't own the code, right? Uh, and every business is different. You are going to run into challenges where you need to customize uh, something. And it's very hard with these type of platforms to customize that. And since you don't own the code, you cannot uh, do it. So once you have built your MVP or the product and people are used to using it, uh, and now you want to go full-fledged, you have to go back and redo that, which is sort of, you know, why would counterproductive? Yeah, counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it sounds like... You know, obviously not owning the code is a, a big issue, right? And you, you talked about some of the limitations that go along with that. But I think one of the things that that wasn't mentioned that you kind of alluded to that I, I want to highlight is, is once you build on a product like Bubble and you get to the point where you're ready to start scaling and you have to go back and then do the development for your MVP, depending on how many customers that you've already acquired, they may be used to using Bubble, and now you're introducing a brand new product from scratch that inevitably is going to have some hiccups in the beginning, right? Even though you go through all the testing, you test all the, the use cases, you know, inevitably there's going to be some, some defects or some bugs that get introduced at some point in the process. Absolutely. You know, but what is the impact there on, on customers that you have that are paying customers that are transitioning from, you know, one platform to a potentially what looks like and feels like possibly a brand new platform. Right. And, and there, are, there are bound to be uh, hiccups in there, right? There are bound to be things which you have missed, which occur in real time, which, you know, every time you build a product, there are, no matter how much testing you do, there are going to be some bugs or defects. And, you know, once you have a working product and you replace it with something else, you are bound to make mistakes or there are, going to be a few bugs, which, you know, your users will have to again go through those motions and identify them. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing to just be wary about there is just potential churn whenever you're making a, a change. Um, so great, great answers. And, and I think a lot of, of insight around that. Um, in your experience, you know, in, especially when it comes to, to the way that we build products and, and more importantly, when clients come to us, uh, to have their products built, how how can they best prepare to to build their MVP? Are there certain things that you need from them in order to bring that to life? Is there certain you know documentation or certain steps that they can take, basically to to help you know reduce the timeline, control costs, and then just overall provide you know a higher level of clarity to, to their idea? Right. So I mean, I, I think that's what we are covering so far, but uh, to Add to it, I mean, you know, once the client has completed that market research, I would really encourage them to define those boundaries for their MVPs. I would encourage them to identify all the core features, right, and prioritize them. Once they have identified the business actors who will be utilizing those products, you know, so once these things are identified, prioritize them, uh, write them down. You can also, you know, always, you know, when you're working towards it, always have a budget. Um, 
I would love if clients can give me the entire user flows and stuff, but in real life, that's not possible. But I would still recommend that they have well-defined boundaries and then a, a clear uh, understanding of what core features they would like to give to their clients and, you know, support their USP. Yeah. The, the only thing I would add to that is just that documentation is our friend, right? The, the more that you can provide up front, uh, the easier that it is. And obviously we go through an extensive process of, of discovery and really work to understand at a foundational level, you know, who your customer is, what problem you're trying to solve, you know, what the, the offer is or solution is that you're looking to take to market to actually solve those pain points. Um, but at the same time, anything that you can kind of front load in terms of, of effort will definitely save you time and money uh, and help us rapidly kind of get engaged within that, that discovery process. Right. I mean, like I said, I mean, we would love if all those documentations were there, but in real life, it's hard because, you know, not everybody would have those expertise, those people who can build them those documents. And, but, you know, like you said, I mean, in our discovery calls, we know, we'll map out all the uh, core features, functionalities, and then give them or produce those documents along with working with them. And I, I've got to I've got to ask this question, because if I if I don't, our, our listeners will absolutely crucify me. Um, because this is also something that comes up in every single discovery call that we have, right? At the end of it, entrepreneurs, business owners, they want to know what is it going to cost and how long is it going to take to build? And so can you quickly touch on what some of those factors are that are driving, you know, your, your cost and your, your timeline? Right. And it again comes back to the same thing, right? I mean, you know, if you have, define those features which you're trying to build if you have defined that usb if you have limited them to uh you know scope them out saying you know we only want to give users these features so that they can uh solve the specific problem then that reduces the number of hours resources and obviously then it impacts the budget which is it's going to cost so always have you know that's why we're calling it the minimum viable product the minimum which can be out there so that your customers, your clients are happy with you know, what they're doing. And then after that, then, then comes the other iterations where you can go in and build the entire full-fledged system. But that's what I would focus on. I would focus on reducing or limiting the features and uh, uh, functionalities which you're offering in that first iteration. Absolutely. Walk me through this process as well, because I think this is something that also is, is important to understand. You know, there may be some of our listeners out there that have gone through the process of actually validating their idea and they're at a point where they are ready to build a product. They mm -hmm. don't know where to go or who to turn to. As they are going through that interview process of, of reaching out and interviewing potential companies to actually build their product or build their MVP, are there any red flags that they should be aware of uh, when they're actually having those conversations? Yeah. Um, I mean, the most important one to me is the SDLC process, which they're uh, going through, right? I mean, we need to make sure the vendor or the company which you're uh, interviewing or trying to work with, uh, they work in an agile environment. I mean, there are a few different methodologies which you can use, but uh, going through the agile process is quicker. It also helps you identify all the gaps while those sprints are being uh, you know, executed. 
so that you know it's quicker to you as well as you can fill those gaps while the development is in process. But if you go the other route where the waterfall method, you know, you define and scope out everything in the beginning, and then from there you build the platform, and in the end you get a product. But now, if there are bugs, there are things which were missed during the uh, initial uh, chat sessions, then you have you have to go back and redo them. So I would focus on uh, vendors who are working in agile. Awesome. And so for our listeners that aren't as familiar with the the software development lifecycle, uh, the SDLC. There's two primary methodologies. So you have Agile, which is is preferred, especially for building out MVPs. And then you have something that's called Waterfall. And Waterfall is something that is traditionally used in, in bigger organizations, uh, more established, more mature, um, that have a lot of challenges kind of iterating quickly. And so it is based on uh, a number of dependencies. So in order to start the next phase, you have to complete the first phase, wherein and Agile, as, as Piyush was mentioning, you can run those different sprints. You can break out all those features uh, into sprints, and then you can run those concur- concurrently or in parallel, um, and you can can iterate much faster and, and collect that user feedback and then build it back into the next process, the next sprint, et cetera. So you end up being able to uh, adapt and, and build much more quickly. Just as uh, Piyush always says, the the name implies with with agile, it keeps you uh, lean and agile throughout the entire process. That's right. So, say you've gone through the process, you now have an MVP. Um, The biggest question I think a lot of people have is, how do you determine, or at what point do you start to determine whether or not your MVP was successful? You know, are there certain milestones? Are there objectives that people need to be aware of or, or looking to achieve? Absolutely. I mean, you always have to define goals, right? I mean, you have to define and you can use different parameters to measure the success of your MVP. Uh, these parameters could be adoption, could be if, if it's a revenue generating product, then the revenue, uh, the feedback from your clients. Um, and there are multiple ways you can get this feedback through social media, through videos, through um, you know, obviously, once you are an MVP, it's not just building the product and putting it out there. I mean, the entire when you look at holistically, you have to also go through your marketing strategy. And during that marketing strategy, the strategy you would also have these feedback sessions where you're getting feedback from your clients, you're working through them. So the how you can measure is based on these KPIs, on these different parameters, and then uh, identify whether it was a success or it was uh, not one. Yeah. So, so give me a, give me a couple of concrete examples. You know, the difference between you, you touched on a little bit, but if I have revenue, right, you have companies that the whole purpose of their MVP is just to gain early adoption and traction where they launch with a freemium model and plans to, to monetize it later. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to be looking at a different set of metrics versus companies that are generating revenue out of the gate through sales. You know, what, what are some of the differences or, or what are some of the metrics that one versus the other would be uh, interested in capturing? Right. So if, if these are companies who are running platforms which are you know, freemium-based, the biggest metric then to me would be adoption, right? Would be how many people are using it. Whether you're generating money out of it or not, that is a different thing. But if there are users who are using it daily or as and when required, then that 
that is something which you can easily measure. You can also measure other uh, attributes like, you know, which features are the ones which are being the most utilized. Then you can focus on those features to enhance them, to, um, you know, make them uh, easier uh, for the users to use, to add bells and whistles there so that there's more an option to those uh, types of users. Awesome. That's, yeah, that's great. And so I think the biggest thing is understanding, you know, what your signups look like, monthly active, daily active, utilization, usage, you know, those are all great metrics to, to help understand whether or not your product is getting traction. But again, they may not be the, the sexy revenue numbers that a lot of people are, are focused on or that you hear a lot of times in the headlines. But they're equally as important because on the flip side of that, for companies that are monetizing uh, their platforms, they still have that same type of, of adoption. Uh, they're just at a stage where they're already profiting from it or at least monetizing it. Right. All, the, all the B2C applications, things which are taking out to the end clients, I mean, I would say feedback is the most important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. How, um, how can founders determine, you know, after collecting that feedback, at what point it's time to, to move forward and continue building out the, the product and adding additional features or additional value-added services. Right. So, and then, and then similarly, let me, let me add on to that real quick. Similarly, if, it, if it's unsuccessful, at what point should you look to shut it down? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we as entrepreneurs, we always come up with ideas and, I mean, we are always passionate about whatever we have thought through that it's, it's, it's something which the market definitely needs. So there will always be times when, you know, one of your ideas is, is something which, you know, uh, is not a market fit or there's, it's a niche and not, um, you know, it, it doesn't make business sense to continue with that. So having said that, I mean, the previous KPIs which we have uh, identified, if you focus on those, once you see those numbers, once you see those goals being hit, or even if you're close to the, those numbers and you're seeing that option, you're seeing people utilizing it, providing you feedback, that means that your business is, or your MVP is a success and you should move forward with adding new features and obviously refining the ones which are being most utilized, right? Refining it to make it more user-friendly, refining it to make the lives more easier and uh, go on from there and build a fantastic product. Uh, On the flip side, the first part of which I said, I mean, you know, it could be if you are not seeing that option, if you're not, if you're not, if you're receiving negative feedback, if the adoption is, uh, you know, is not to the mark where you would want it to be in that specific uh, time interval which you have set the goal for, then I would say, you know, let's call it a day, right? Let's uh, start thinking about another idea or starting about another business problem which you can solve. I mean, there would be times when the products don't work uh, and, you know, got to figure out when to shut it down. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you're right. I mean, the, the statistics show not 91% of all startups fail, right? And 42% of that is because of a lack of finding product market fit. So, you know, a lot of people, even after building an incredible product are not able to capture the market or the market just simply says, Hey, we don't need you. And so it's important to, to understand when it's time to, to jump ship instead of, you know, enduring the heartache of, of going down with the ship. So I want to touch on one other thing that you said um, around negative feedback. And I want to make sure that I stress this to, to people as well. You know, negative feedback, um, depending on the lens that you are looking at it through, can be 
the most valuable feedback that you actually receive within your business. Right. And I think that's something that too many people, you know, get overwhelmed by the negativity and they don't look at it as an opportunity for ways that they can actually improve their product. So I think that's something else that's, that's important to know that you kind of touched on there. Um, I mean, negative, you know, and, negative feedback would be a great thing as well. Like if you're seeing the adoption, but during the feedback, you're seeing that there is, you know, there are things which you need to improve. So if you have the adoption, that means that it is a market fit. But taking those negative yeah. feedback into consideration and making those changes, which the users are complaining about, I mean, that is going to make it a success. Yeah, absolutely. And that's important to note as well. You know, as we kind of start wrapping up uh, this episode, is there anything that you can think of that that comes to mind in terms of, of pro tips that you think our listeners just need to know um, or have to know or should know uh, in order to, to build a product? I mean, what I would recommend, you know, when you have, when you're in the ideation phase, when you're thinking of that idea and then working towards planning your MVP, I would uh, recommend that you guys can, you know, you don't have to utilize the tools or anything, but you can just start with pieces of paper and start uh, mapping your user flows out. Start defining the screen. Start taking how the customer journey is going to be look like. What that is going to do is it is going to help you identify many of the gaps which you have not thought through when you were you know, thinking about your idea, right? So that is one of the things which I would do when uh, you know, building my MVP. Awesome. I think that's that's great advice. I mean, it's it doesn't have to be this elaborate scheme. Some of the best ideas that were ever born were born on on pen and napkin. You know what I mean? So it's just about doing the work. It's about taking the time to actually write down or document the the thoughts and ideas that you have running around your head, and then just iterating through and and progressively elaborating on those until you get to uh, a point of clarity. So. Piyush, thanks for, for coming on today and, and sharing uh, your insight. Really appreciate it. I know that our, our listeners would have, have gained a ton of value from this conversation. Um, before you go, where can people find you and connect? And if they want to learn more about uh, the process of building an MVP or uh, building a scalable product, how can they reach out? Absolutely. And of course, we'll put, we'll put all your contact information in the, the show notes, but what's the best place to get you? Uh, the best place to catch me would be on saspartners.io website. I mean, you can uh, obviously write me at piyush at saspartners.io. You can find me on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. But like Patrick said, I mean, all the information will be published along with this video. So you guys can you know, reach out to us. Awesome. Thanks again so much. Um, for all of our listeners out there, before we close, if you've got a friend or family member that's an entrepreneur and you want to help them succeed in their business and ensure that they are guaranteed to grow it, make sure that you like, share, comment, um, and send that on to a, an entrepreneur in need. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about building a, a scalable go-to-market strategy. Now that you have your product in hand, you define your ICPs, and we're going to continue on with this series so that we can help you successfully launch your product. Until next time, thanks for joining. Thank you, everybody. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen in on today's episode. I had a blast recording it for you, and I hope that you found some really great takeaways. 